Welcome, welcome, welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., I said Mondays, and then Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many other locations. We're on YouTube. You can subscribe to the podcast and the video cast. You can actually set up notification so that when I post a new uh, conversation, such as this one, uh, I, you will be able to pick up on that and, uh, and listen to it and uh, learn more about it. And today uh, you're going to learn more, more about uh, spiritual writing uh, from inspiration to publication. And we're, of course, talking uh, primarily about the second edition. We're going to be talking with our very special guest, returning guest, Deborah Levine Herman. And I want to thank you for being back with us here on the program. This is this is always a joy to talk about this particular yeah. aspect of creativity. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. So what's different from the first to the second edition? Well, 20 years of my own personal growth and awareness. <laughs> so, you know, I, when I looked at the manuscript, I thought I was only going to change, you know, when you're doing a second edition in a book, uh, typically it's about 25% that you're going to alter to make it a new edition. But I, when I looked at it, I said, oh man, and I rewrote everything um, with the exception of maybe just a few stories um, for this second edition. So, um, but I think one of, uh, there were two things that were significant. One is in the beginning, when I talk about the spiritual path and the writer's journey, I go into far more detail about what I call the seven lessons of soul odyssey. Uh, People requested that who were fans of the original book. They said, you know, you you told us about this. Now we want to know more and how it relates to being a writer and a creative person. And the second biggest change um, is to reflect the changes in the publishing industry, how to access it, and also how to build a platform. Because back in 2002, when I wrote the first book, platform the word platform was starting to uh, come into the publishing lexicon, but it wasn't really understood. And the advantages of the digital world were just not available. So that's all in the second book. Hmm. And and you talk about uh, there being two paths for the spiritual writer. Uh, are there two different spiritual paths? Or are we talking about, shall we say, the human or mortal path and then the immortal, if you will, spiritual path where the writings would sort of flow or emanate from? I don't separate these things. I think it's really uh, dependent upon a person's awareness uh, because we're all here on a spiritual path. We're all here. I consider Earth, (laughs) Mm -hmm. our planet, to be like a classroom where we come here to grow our souls and Um, you know, we learn again, harking back to the seven lessons. Um, you know, I think there's like a cosmic curriculum that guides us on a human level and also on a spiritual level, but people may not be aware, um, of 
being on this spiritual journey and that's fine i'm if if people are focused i mean to be a functional human being is enough of a challenge uh you know for anybody mm -hmm. so um but people who have connected to more of their um additional senses i'll say um who have this awareness of something beyond the physical and the material, I think they need a little bit more reassurance and guidance because uh, especially when I was starting out mm -hmm. and I and I was waking up to, you know, things that were beyond what I thought was my reality, you really can feel alone. Um, and it's frightening. You know, you find, you feel weird. Now, 20 years fast forward, we can feel less weird um, because there were so many pioneers who were willing to say, no, I have these experiences, I have these gifts. Um, and so it, it, it paved the way for people to not feel so alone. And even I, from time to time, as long as I've been doing this, as long as I've considered myself a metaphysician, as long as I've been, as I say, searching, there are those moments, uh, I'm thankful that they're fleeting and they're far, far and few between, if you will. But there are still those moments when I want somebody else to do this. I'm, you know, <laughs> you know uh, the overwhelm of, of, of uh, the human aspect. Uh, and, and it makes it challenging to connect with that spiritual aspect, as we like referred here on the program, going within and listening to that still small voice. I think it's because we have a misconception of our individual missions, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, when people become aware that they have gifts or that or they they become engaged in what they perceive as their personal mission, we tend to connect it with a much bigger picture. We, each of us have a role to play, but we don't have to play the entire role. We're not, we're, we're, we're each important. We are each a universe. Uh, your particular mission may be one day you wind up going right instead of left and you help someone on that road. And that was the biggest thing that God or whomever you believe wanted you to do because that changes the trajectory of that person's life. You know, every little thing that we do is it, it matters. Mm -hmm. But some of us may feel a greater sense of mission and we can become very uh, overwhelmed and even discouraged because we put too much pressure on ourselves. Mm. And I like to say, you know, God and the angels, they got it handled. <laughs> We're not, I'm a human. I can do certain things. I can have spirit work through me, but I still have to get up every morning. Sometimes I don't feel like getting up. I still have to deal with, you know, life and aging and, and reality and, and, you know, all the, all the messiness of being a human being. Um, the times that I can that I feel that I'm serving people and serving God, they're a real high point. But I don't think any human being can could consistently 
sustain that without running the risk of kind of going insane. <laughs> you know, yeah. we can't operate on that highest level of energy for, you know, every single day. Any and and I and it gives me a segue. I don't. I mean, I, you may have another question, but you know, to the process of memoir writing, I'm really focusing now on on conveying to people how to write a memoir. Yeah. And uh, you know, uh, did you have another question? No, I, all I, I go I, off on a tangent. Uh, no, no, you're no, absolutely no problem. We're talking with Deborah Levine Herman. She's written a book entitled Spiritual Writing uh, from Inspiration to Publication. It's the second edition. You're listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host with uh, Deborah Levine uh, uh, Herman. And uh, she's a tell me what what in your definition is a, a spiritual teacher? I've had mentors in my life. Um, matter of fact, uh, a dear friend of mine who has since passed, I knew her for 40 years. Uh, I was in my early 20s when I first met her. Actually, no, I was 19 when I first met her. I had the biggest crush on this woman, but she was married. <laughs> but you know, I, but but not to ignore that. Right. When there's a person who is really imbued with this higher energy yeah. and this spirit energy that comes through them, everybody can fall in love with them. Yeah, it, it, It's not necessarily um, a male-female thing. It feels that way, but um, it, it, it's, it really can also... Now, it may have been that this person was gorgeous and you were in love, but... Yeah, well, you know, that, 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 also, that too. <laughs> you know, but it's also... Uh, people can express the sense of the agape love where you are connecting to a higher energy that is also part of God. Yeah. Well, this and it woman, can be confusing. Yeah. And, well, in the latter years before her passing, uh, I tried to use the word mentor in just our conversations that, oh, you know, I consider you my mentor. She says, no, uh, don't, I don't want you to think of me that way. We're friends. Yeah. Uh, she, she, I well, think that her concern was that I was going to put her up on a pedestal and she didn't well, want see, that. And that's really important. And yeah. if I'm reluctant to use the term spiritual teacher um, because at least I know in the eighties and early nineties, people had a tendency to want to guruize um other people as being above them and what i consider a spiritual teacher is someone who uses their gifts with i hope humility asking you know is this the highest form of service and wants the people that they work with to find their own path mm -hmm. and to be able to access their own gifts and to feel um to feel really connected to their divine inner spark. Mm -hmm. Now, as a human being, I'm not always great with, you know, I mean, there are times I can be impatient with people and I can, you know, uh, look to other people. What, what are they doing? What am I not doing? That's my, that's being a human being. We're all yeah. subject to those feelings. Yeah. But when I believe that I am bringing source through to work with someone as a, as a teacher, we want our students to surpass us. 
uh, or at minimum to find their own. We don't want them to step into our path and to believe that everything we say is the truth because there's only one truth and it belongs to God and you have the divine inner voice that connects you to that divine truth. So we teachers are only guides to help you find that. Yeah. I, I always preface uh, things that I express uh, from my own personal experiences or observations, and I say that this is for me. This is only for me. If you want to take it on, that's fine, or take bits and pieces, that's fine. But I'm not putting it on anybody else. I'm not saying that everybody else is supposed to think this way, believe this way, observe this way. This is only for me. And, and and then I, I go on with what I'm sharing. And But that's a reflect that's a great definition of the tolerance lesson of the seven lessons of soul odyssey. Because when people become more aware and they tap into their gifts, mm-hmm. um, or they have this awakening and, and this connection to source, um, you can become God intoxicated is the term I use, where there is a natural inclination to want everyone to believe as you believe. And that you'll you'll be given circumstances where you will see that doesn't work very well. You yeah. know, forcing your beliefs on someone else. First of all, you're taking responsibility for yeah. their path, which is too much responsibility. And secondly, people will just resent it. Or they'll guruize you. So yeah. no matter what, it's not a good thing no. to do. Uh, there are times when I, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I work five days a week, uh, usually eight hours a day, give or take. I uh, do some work from home as well, you know, which is kind of nice. But I will tell you that after a long day of producing and of dealing and interacting with other people, the last thing I want to do when I get home is answer a bunch of questions. And quite honestly, I don't care what the question is. Um, What is the meaning of the universe? Or what do you want for dinner? And it's like, I don't want to answer any questions. Uh, Or what's the weather going to be like, you know? Uh, But I have to go step back. I have to step back and say, now, hang on, hang on. Uh, yeah, but these questions aren't going to go on forever, you know, and you're okay and you're home and you're in a place where you can decompress and so forth. And whether the other person is aware of all of that dynamic or not, you need to be aware of that dynamic and so forth. And it's, uh, it's my responsibility. Uh, my reaction is my responsibility, the way that I behave, the way that I speak, uh, you you said something very important. What's that? People who work with energy, work with other people, um, you know, put their heart into their work, work creatively. You need to use self care, and uh, you're right that when you are transitioning from the work day to the home day, you need to take time to decompress. The same thing when people are working with energy, people who are healers, people who are are readers or whatever, you need to, first of all, you shouldn't be using your own energy. You should be trying, you know, praying to use God's energy um, because human energy is, is 
is not the same and it's not as as um as strong and mm -hmm. and healing yeah you want to be a vessel but you know you you're going to use your own physical energy just because you're a person um so i always tell people that you want to you want to shield you want to release you want to ground um one thing i just bought again um i always try to keep it around i like florida water it's literally called florida water and mm -hmm. it's this combination of herbs um and you could spray it you could rub it on your hands but you need some kind of separation from this um spiritual work to your being a person mm. um you know and that helps you not be so reactive um and i'm not saying i'm perfect at it. just ask my <laughs> husband you know i could be really agitated or or yeah. you know off kilter but i'm i'm learning Mm -hmm. to to do that type of self spiritual self-care and and that is something that has i've been reminded of over and over what you just said is a, a message that i get from a lot of people uh, who know me who know my personal life and the things that i personally deal with and they always remind me richard please take time to take care of you i know it's 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 laudable that you're doing this and that and the other thing uh, I even went to an intuitive um, uh, more for, and this is this would be the only reason now that I would ever do this, is I just go there for confirmation for whatever, because maybe that particular day, that period of time, I'm just not, I, I just, for whatever reason, I just can't seem to feel like, okay, I, I, I know the answer to this question. And it's just nice to, nice to eh, sometimes sit down and talk with somebody else too, but also get their impressions. Well, and this, uh, I don't think we can do for ourselves, you know, if it's something that's a really important message mm -hmm. that the spirit guides need you to have. Right. First of all, I just try to live kind of intuitively, you know, and like today, for example, I just suddenly got it in my mind. I was going to go join our local pool and I was going to take pool Zumba and I did it. But afterwards, here's where things happen that we don't anticipate. I was, I just got this little idea to talk to this young woman who was blow drying her hair next to me. And I just struck up a conversation. Turns out she has, and I was joking, she's a scientist, this woman, and she just graduated from an, a, an impressive school. I told her I used to go to college with engineering students and I was the English major and compared to their rooms, mine looked like a hurricane. <laughs> and so we were joking, now I'm leading to something mm -hmm. that I needed. Turns out I really need help um, at with my writing and my office and my publishing um, and it turns out, ah, her sister is at this impressive school. She is an English major and she's looking for a summer internship and they live in my neighborhood and I wouldn't even have to pay her. She can get college credit. Wow. So wow. I had to go do Zumba. So what I'm saying is that sometimes these, these still small voice is very subtle it's a feeling it's not a big bonk on the head but it but we can't always do for ourselves 
as intuitives for things that are causing us angst, anxiety, family matters, because we can't always be objective. So my sister is, you may want to interview her sometime. She's a medium Mm. um, and very talented. Uh, I'm a little bit more, I would say, mystical. My sister is very talented and she's, she's done um, investigative work. She, you know, she's really great, but we're, you know, we're very different, but we'll call each other and kind of like say, so how am I doing today? Mm. Can you get a read on it? Yeah. Because uh, you see, because you can't always do for yourself. So there's nothing wrong with you. Um, Not that you thought it was wrong, but I, I think it's very common for intuitives to need to, if you trust the person and you like their energy vibe, you know, I once went to someone um, <laughs> to do a little bit of energy work and my gut told me, eh, and it threw me so out of my energy that it was, it wasn't good. Yeah. So you got to always trust the vibe that you're getting from that other person, but we all need to help each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Deborah Herman's my guest, and we're here on uh, Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, it's really a pleasure to have uh, Deborah back with us for a return visit. Yes, it Yay. is a return visit. It's nice to have you back again to talk about this whole aspect of spiritual writing. I and mean, we're kind of going down a couple of new paths, I think. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I will tell you, too, that, that when I went to this person, um, uh, and she said something to me that I thought was rather interesting, and it took me a moment or two to kind of really grok it, and that was to, um, uh, she said, uh, you can't do anymore, okay? You've already done more than enough, okay? You need to stop trying to do more, okay? Uh, and she wasn't specific in terms of what it was that I was doing that I don't need to do anymore. She was very general in saying that you don't need to do anymore. You need to spend more time being. And that was the, that was what really kicked in for me. I'm going, oh, uh, okay, I got it. But see, that harkens back to what I was saying at the beginning mm -hmm. of our conversation, that mystical, metaphysical, spiritual people often feel the angst of the world and put pressure on themselves to be the one that if we're not working hard enough or we're not doing enough or if we're not serving enough and we need to trust the universe that we we are enough and whatever we contribute is is a blessing and appreciated and and we are loved and we don't have to burn ourselves out and we shouldn't burn ourselves out and we shouldn't burn the candle at both ends because yeah. it, it's not it, it's a dissipation of this energy that we have we have to be good to ourselves yeah. and and know when to replenish you know i um uh, since you and i have chatted the last um, I have been dealing with, uh, on and off actually, uh, just because other aspects of my life are diving in there too, are, are, are intertwined. I've been dealing with the loss of my father. Uh, he just recently passed away the, uh, first of March, which was very interesting. I could go through all of the 
coincidences between his passing and my sister, eldest sister's passing a year ago, his birthday, and so on and so forth. But um, there have been those moments when it hits me, he's not here anymore. I can't just call him up and talk with him or what have you. Now I can talk with him anytime, of course, and I know this. But it, it hits me that I'm halfway to being an orphan. You know, I mean, 63, almost 63 years old. And, and that was one of my sister's comments to me um, uh, when I was talking with her. And she says, yeah, we're, we're all, we're all, you know, when mom goes, we're all going to be orphans. And I says, well, then I guess we'll all be shipped off to foster homes. <laughs> <laughs> and again, trying to keep it light. But it's, it's like. It's a very yeah. painful loss. And yeah. my both my parents passed away very young. My father was 67. And my mother was 70. So I didn't get to know them as elderly. Yeah. And um, so my father passed in 99 and my mother in 2005. And to this day, I, you know, I want to pick up the phone. But yeah. interestingly enough, we, for those of us who are, fortunate enough they find ways to connect with us mm -hmm. and to reach us because time time on the other side is not linear right uh it's only linear here and you know i know you i'm sure have many um stories to tell but um you know my my parents will reach me in dreams mm. um but uh one time one of the most interesting things that happened when I had my um, the book I did uh, about the Manson family cult, that was a huge book and is still selling and te we're teaching about it. Um, but when that came out, um, my co-author and I went to Macy's to a restaurant because she had been on a television show and we had just gone to pick up people magazine that had featured the the book there on the cover and it was really a big deal and sitting right next to me was a woman the spitting image of my mother the hair the the face i took a photo of her secretively and sent it to my sister and she said when did you get that picture of mom and that was on the day that I had this big, you know, celebration. Mm. And I, I don't know, it was just coincidence, maybe. But that woman who looked just like my mother happened to be in a place I'd never gone before and never would go again, most likely, mm. on that moment. So, you know, they, they just find it. But I did tune into my mom once. I don't know if it was me or if it was through someone. And I asked her what it's like there of course we want to know yeah and her answer was you i can't explain it to you because it isn't physicality and it it's too hard for people to understand mm. but we we live and exist here but it isn't the same as physicality and uh, and so you'll know when you get here, basically, <laughs> someday. <laughs> it's one of those. You but had that to, they exist. Yeah, you had to be there. Well, one day I will, I guess. 
and that's one of the things that 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 has has uh, 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 sort of distracted me from time to time. And then I wonder, <clears throat> and again, this is still part of the same distraction: is am I am I what am I? I sometimes I'm even asking the question: What am I feeling? What what? And sometimes I feel like I'm not feeling anything, but I know that's not true. It's just that I haven't been able to quite tap into it. Um, and it's, 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 again, it's one of those aspects, um, where, yeah, you want that outside input, if you will, or support or confirmation. And that, again, uh, as you've stated, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with, with getting, so to speak, a second opinion. Although I don't look at it, like I said before, I don't look at it quite like that. It's more, I, I just need to confirm what I already know. But for it's some support. reason, I'm not connecting. I'm not connecting with what I already know clearly right now. Also, I will tell you that when because I I've done uh, I've done transition work with mm -hmm. people, um, and I do know that when they first pass over, they're a bit very busy. They are the. You know, I, I like to think of it as the mo like the movie Defending Your Life, it, which is a comedy Albert Brooks um, wrote and starred in the movie. And it, it's like they what they do when they first get there. And it's oh, hilarious. And, and it's my fa it's my favorite movie. Yeah. Um, came out in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. But I do know that they go through a kind of an orientation period to get used to their new energetic state and and maybe they do look at their life and maybe they do evaluate um you know their their soul and where they what what it was like for them and you know they're so they don't always connect with us right away after they've passed over. Now, I've had people visit me when I first started knowing that this was real and I wasn't just a nut, no offense to anybody, but <laughs> right after someone has passed, when I was much younger, um, I had I had a uh, law professor that, you know, we were all friendly with. I didn't even know he had passed, but he was showed up in my dream on a gurney, sat up, looked at me and said, this is weird in my dream. And then I found out the next day he had died. Mm. So when they're first making transition, you know, they're, they're much more able to go where there's a good antenna. And I've had many people kind of visit me on their way um, and, and share messages and that kind of thing. But then once they go to the next place, whatever it is, even if it's a holding place, they're busy. And, and I, I've told people, you know, people I love that who've lost someone recently don't, who are very intuitive. And they're like, I, why didn't I get a dream? Why didn't I get a message? You will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just, and you, and plus you need to grieve mm -hmm. because you're a human being. And I learned something from my dog because I do animal communication and she was diagnosed, she's since passed, but she was diagnosed with cancer. And so I was talking with her and I was asking her, well, what's it gonna be like for you? And she said, well, for us, it's just nothing. We just shift energy. It doesn't feel like anything. 
but we are always worried about the people who are left behind who who miss us they have an awareness of that and you know and so what's always happened with me is we've always had so, like a sign and we've gotten another pet i mean literal signs from them um but it's it's a much more natural process yeah but it really is the human part of us that has to process and grieve because we can't we can no longer see that person and touch that person right right i have to say that uh i i I came to this conclusion that um, if we would but stop becoming attached to other people, we wouldn't have the grieving. However, that's completely opposite of our nature, both spiritually and human. We need to connect and that's probably a better word than attach. We need to connect, even though we know that down the road, this is this is part of the process. My father used to say, eat, drink and be merry in moderation because nobody gets out of this world alive. It's the truth. Yeah, it uh, is. it's the absolute truth. And as sad as we are. You know, people who lose a pet, for example, again, I, I I do the animal communication, so they'll never get another pet. They'll grieve forever. Yeah. And and you know, when you fall in love with an animal, you know their bodies can't live as long as we can, except if it's a parrot, they outlive us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, unless but, you have a pet elephant, maybe. <laughs> yeah, really. Then they'll outlive you too. But but would I ever trade the love and the yeah. and the compassion and the stories and the fun? Mm -hmm. Would I ever trade that for the the sense of loss and the pain and the grief? No, not for a second. Yeah, and and. What we can do here on this planet, this classroom planet, is go through these. The seven lessons of Soul Odyssey are are literally all about love. Mm. They it's it's courage, it's tolerance, but then it's self love, self protection, ego love of humanity, and God love. Mm -hmm. It's all learning the process of opening to fully loving because that's what God is. Yeah. That's one of the things that I have uh, struggled with in terms of definitions and so forth. I, in one of the interviews I've done recently, we were talking about love. We were talking about uh, probably more along the lines of more, uh, shall we say, more romantic and relationship type love. And uh, the difference between being in love versus loving someone. And the, the basic difference, uh, as they expressed it, was that being in love is, is short-term. It's usually early on in a relationship, uh, and then it kind of transforms into loving the person and showing how you, that you care about them by the things that you say, the things that you do with them and for them and so forth, that, that the two of you share. And I see that, for example— in, in my parents. Now, I had the privilege of knowing my parents as elder. My father was 91 when he passed away. 
Yeah, Mine, I, that's probably. Yeah. I think my father would have been ninety-one. Yeah, my mother so is same. still alive. She's eighty-eight. She'll be eighty-nine in September. Uh, and at the same time, I sit here and I'm very much aware uh, from the medical community of what's called the broken heart syndrome. My uh, former wife's uh, parents uh, passed away four months apart. He died of an aneurysm, and she followed him four months later. Uh, you know, so I don't know, you know, how much longer my mother wants to stay, not how much longer she's got, but whether she wants to continue on without him or not, 60, almost 66 years of marriage. So this is one of those elements. It's like um, I remember when my first wife came down the gangplank with her guide dog, I said, I'm not getting close to that dog because I, I know what happens at the end of that dog's life. Well, uh, the words didn't stick because I, <laughs> I did get very close to the dog. Uh, so that is part of who and what we are is connecting. And it's like you said earlier when we're talking about seeking guidance, seeking confirmation and so forth, support. Sometimes we need to do that. And if you don't create any kind of, some kind of a network and you don't have any people around you, boy, you're going to feel alone, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. I also, again, the deepest love is when we feel connected to whatever we believe God is. And I don't believe that that it's a, a negative I just, for me, my experience of source has always been love mm -hmm. and, and acceptance and unconditional love. And all of these paths that we take, it's, it's to learn all these different elements of love. And you said you were talking about being in love versus loving. I think when when people commit to one another and it's the right person, um, because sometimes people just are incompatible and dysfunctional and they can't be together. But when when we are blessed to be with the right partner, you can fall in love over time at different times mm -hmm. when you have a reawakening and especially as you really learn to separate into individuals and to look at each other almost, I mean, I would say in a way we look at each other through God's eyes and see this person as this separate, perfect being, even in all their flaws and all their faults. You know, in, in early parts of relationships, we look at our partners partners for how they affect us and what they do against us. You know, there's a lot of battling with couples who, who are trying to overcome each other. And I still, you know, I'll still fall into that, you know, where I misconstrue um, what my husband's saying. And it's like, no, I never meant that, you know, because we bring with us all of our childhood pain and hurts and all of that. But the I really love that I'm in a very long-term relationship because you do kind of become less selfish because when you really care about this other person and and you love them in a more unconditional way and not protecting yourself from things you think they're doing, 
you want what's best for them and and it's that selfless love is really fulfilling it's more fulfilling than anything and it becomes a safe space and it becomes companionship and you know you grow in your communication so uh, you know people if they're blessed to have that it really is what life is about you know in human relationships and that's a spiritual path it is so interesting to converse about these kinds of things because I think that a lot of us don't fully understand the dynamics, uh, and it's it is a challenge. I mean, it is a lifelong process. There's no question, and there are all kinds of books. Whether you hail from uh, uh, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, or or some other dynamic. I mean, I have a best friend, and I love saying this because I love these milestones. I've known him for over fifty years. Yeah, we, we met as kids in school. And one day, he came out to me. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, well, what do you want me to do with that? I mean, you know, you're still my best friend. What, you know, um, you know, and, and, and that didn't, didn't affect me in the least as far as the relationship that he and I had. And we went on a, we went on a trip together and, and that nearly broke us up as, as friends and I've always considered him, I always referred to him as my best friend. That's how Why I've always did that almost him. break you up as friends? Oh, because uh, we got into financial, uh, it was a whole financial thing where at the end of the trip, we pulled into the driveway of my parents' house and I say, well, you know, you owe me money. He says, no, 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 you owe me money. And I said, look, how about we do this? We just, we'll just call it even because so, we put too much into th this friendship that we have. So to, it wasn't to throw it away. at all about his oh, no. coming out. No, not at all. No, no, no. Those were Money two separate, two is separate things. It'll cause people yeah. to argue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was two separate incidents. Uh, I should have I, I should have made that clear. But isn't that isn't yeah. that funny? Yeah, it really is. I mean, we traveled uh, from uh, Phoenix uh, to Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, we did some running around. I stayed with my aunt and uncle. He could have stayed with my aunt and uncle, but he didn't want to uh, for whatever his reasons were. Uh, he stayed at a motel. Okay, fine. You know, I mean, you know, you're welcome. But uh, we traveled around Kansas. Uh, we got almost caught in a tornado in Oklahoma City <laughs> as we were well, driving there. If you're gonna if you're gonna be caught in a tornado, it's good to do it with your best friend. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, know, you could live together, die together. There you, know, you go. Go through a get whisked away to to uh, yeah. Oz together. Yeah, I remember when his father passed away. Um, and, and we were always joking around with one another and I didn't want to make too light of it. Uh, but I even asked him, I says, um, uh, Doug, uh, can I come to the funeral? And he said, well, well, of course, <laughs> of course you can. And uh, we just kind of chuckled at that because of, just because of the relationship we've had and, and, and the things that we've done together. And, and, uh, yeah, we went, those things wind up being trivial. Yeah, they do. And yet, you know, at the when same... it comes, it, it's it's almost like being uh, brothers. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, mm -hmm. brothers and sisters will fight and fight, but you have a family crisis, and they're all they'll all bond. Exactly, and know? that's you and forget I'll, all of that. Yeah, and I will tell you that uh, that is what is happening uh, with my immediate family. Is that yeah, we are doing just that. We're all uh, kind of uh, sort of 
metaphorically uh, huddling together. You know, we're there for each other. We take the phone calls, you know, and, and we chat. Sometimes uh, I want to call my mom and see how she's doing. And at the same time, I'm going, yeah, but I don't want to bother her. And uh, I'm, I'm still working on getting over that to, to say, hey, I just wanted to touch base to see how you were doing. Why and, would you think you're bothering your mother? Well, because she's going through her own grieving process and I don't want to interfere in that kind of thing. I think Isn't you that need weird? to reframe. Yes, it's not weird. I think you need to reframe it um, and not make assumptions. If you, again, listen to your divine inner voice, you get this inclination to pick up the phone and call your mom, pick up the phone and call your mom. Mm. Because you never know what the timing might be. You never know what is she feeling in that moment. And sometimes, you know, I'll tell you, my son and I, have this uh, in fact he'll probably call me right now my son and i have this cray cray psychic connection where um i think i'm allergic to my office um where <laughs> i'll think of him he'll call me that minute yeah as i'm thinking of him or as i'm talking about him to someone um my sister and i you know my sister the the we're the psychic sisters um the other day she came over for a holiday and um she doesn't live in my town but she came over to visit and we were talking without moving our lips and i said do you notice that we're we're telepathically talking because we were having this whole conversation and then we would say something out loud to indicate what we had been talking about and we started to laugh because our telepathic connection is so strong wow and then and i wind up with my daughter my youngest daughter having dreams from her subconscious you know and she lives she lives on the other side of the country wow are you, you noticing know? that more and more people uh, around you especially but more and more people are beginning to tap into that aspect of their own spirituality? I would have to say yes, I, but they don't know what it is. And I think, you know, I think they become frightened. Mm -hmm. uh, they may even think they're ill. You know, I know uh, one person started getting tingles and heat in their hand. Mm -hmm. That's that's not a disease it's called energy yeah and yeah. you know i said read this older book called by dr brew joy uh, called joy's way where he was he's a doctor and he starts feeling this energy emanating from his hands yeah you know so you know a lot of people call it our spidey senses <laughs> absolutely our spidey senses are becoming enhanced mm -hmm. and with that, you're also going to see more, um, unfortunately, you're going to see more sensitivity uh, to toxins, um, you know, autoimmune, things like that, um, because we are in an evolutionary stage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also really, if I get, if I can convey any type of message, I am, I am asking people, do not buy into any news on any side try to stay in your center and just emanate you don't want to be unrealistic i mean if if we suddenly all have to hide under the desk and there's going to be a unfortunately you know some kind of attack you don't want to you don't want to be um ignorant or in denial but truly 
those people who are awakening their so-called spidey senses, we can raise a higher, more positive, loving vibration and not get pulled into fear and not get pulled into hopelessness. Because if you believe that there is this positive and negative energy, the negative, which again, if you read my book all about the seven lessons and why they're important and why it's good to know what yours are. Um, and I don't know if I did yours last time we spoke, I can do yours. Um, but it's really significant to avoid hopelessness, feeling unloved, mm. and and feeling frightened. Those are emotions that the negative energies wants us to feel. Yeah. It feeds off that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I will say that one of the things in terms of the energetic aspects and dynamics of relationship, uh, there was a, <laughs> there yeah, was a dog. point, yes, there's your dog. There was a point in my life where I, I still see my parents as my parents the, who raised me, but I see them, I have seen them since this particular period uh, in my life more as friends than parents, uh, which I actually felt somewhat closer in that respect. You well, know? there's a trans, was, there's a, yeah. a stage where you see your parents as people. Yeah. And as separate from you. And you can appreciate them. You know, my children are at the ages now where they're comparing what I was doing when I was their age. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, because I only have one grandchild. My son is the one who's got a child. My others, no children. And they know that by the age that at least my older daughter is, I had three children. <laughs> and they're like, how did you do that? No wonder you, it was difficult. And, and, you know, you were amazing. I can't believe you, you know, and of course, yeah, uh, that goes, that, that uh, compliment goes out to any mother of three children <laughs> where the children make it to adulthood, you know, reasonably sane. Um, and uh, you see them differently as you separate and become your own person. Yeah. And, and I, I know that for you, this is this loss of your father, it, it, the next step will be for you to reclaim a part of yourself as a man, as a whole person, mm -hmm. where you will see yourself differently because, unfortunately, you've lost your father. Right, right. It, it, it's a very important stage well i will i will tell you that that it has been rather interesting uh i was uh, i am uh, uh the third born but the first male child and when i stood up uh, at the memorial to share um my three minutes my sister actually texted me shortly after uh his passing uh, this was a few days actually about the memorial when they finally decided when, that I would only have three minutes. Now, she then called me about 10 minutes later saying, I wanted you to know that it wasn't just you that had three minutes. Everybody only gets three minutes because there's so many of us and so forth. So I composed my remarks within that three-minute range. 
Of course, you know what happened. I kept within my three minutes. Everybody else went long. And you know what? That was okay because I said what I wanted to say. Because as you already know, I tend to go on and on about stuff. But when I stood up and I faced the, the, the people in the chapel, I introduced myself because I was named after my father. No, I'm not a junior. My father, I have his middle name as my first name. And my middle name was his first name. And from that standpoint, I thought that's that to me. I, I haven't quite figured out what it means, but it says something to me that he, he and my mother chose to name me after him. And uh, I, I thought, wow, I need to I need to I need to not so much investigate it, but I need to ponder that I need to to muse on that for a little while and just kind of see where that where that takes me, you know, and so forth. And I just think that's really kind of cool. I, I, I It's very cool. Yeah. Uh, but it's a legacy. Yeah. But yet it's a torch passing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that, that that's one of the things that, uh, for example, when my mother told me that my brother, my younger brother, was actually going to be delivering the eulogy, um, when he delivered it, when he was finished, I turned to her and I said, perfect, you chose, you chose correctly. I didn't need to give the eulogy just because I'm the eldest son. Uh, and he did, a, he did a fine job. He hates public speaking, okay? So I was proud of him for that. But he did a great job on it, you know. But it is interesting how a lot of this stuff starts to come up. I mean, I'm, I've been learning stuff about my father. I thought I knew, and I didn't. And that's and, why. Yeah. Perfect segue, because we are talking about spiritual. Writing yes. Yes. And my book, um, Spiritual Writing from Inspiration to Publication. Mm -hmm. I may actually teach a course. I've been pondering the idea that everyone should write a memoir. Yeah. Because and to and not to necessarily publish it, but the process of looking at one's life in full context is a way to make sense. Now, of course, I would put it in the context also of the seven lessons, mm -hmm. um, but it's you learn so much about the parts that different people played in your life mm -hmm. and it's a process in some ways of reclaiming and developing your own identity. And it's, I've taken many people through this process. Um, a couple of people have very uh, high profile stories. Mm -hmm. So they're, they'll probably be published. One of them, a couple of them have been. Um, but I, uh, as I'm doing this, developing this spiritual process of mining all these memories and determining the first one of the first things I do with someone in uh, helping them work on their memoir is to give them an assignment to write a timeline of all of the important events in in their memory that they felt shaped them and yeah. all of these significant um you know these significant moments and it's interesting because it, once they look at it 
from that higher level, yeah. it begins to make more sense. And I just think it's a great exercise. That's a spiritual writing. Absolutely. Uh, that's a spiritual writing process yeah. in my mind. We're talking with uh, Deborah Her uh, Herman, and we're talking about her, her latest second edition of her book, Spiritual Writing. And you, my friends, are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And can we, Deborah, Deborah Heron, um, Herman, can we dive into a little bit of these, these uh, seven elements that you're talking about that you do write about in your book to give people an idea of what it is that they can find uh, through a, a, a purchase thereof? Uh, your your book. Well, if you'll allow me, yes, um, I will do your lessons. But of course, I call it a soul. I call it a soul progression. I don't know how to teach people to do this. I think it's one of the gifts that I've been given. Mm -hmm. um, but I do these with people. I mean, I uh, people if they go to my website. Actually, I have a new website. It's almost finished. So if you go there and it's not quite finished. Just, you know, cut me a break. <laughs> okay. But it's DebraHerman.com. And um, and I explain uh, the seven lessons. Uh, and I and there's a link if people want me to do a um, what's called a soul progression for mm -hmm. them. Okay. So the lessons are courage, tolerance, self-protection, self-love. Ego, love of humanity, and God love. Okay. Now, what I'm going to do, because I could tune in and, and, and see if I get answers, but instead, I'm going to use a process that I call automatic writing. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to teach people to do this safely. I spent many years refining my gifts and protection and all of that. So don't do this at home. Okay. <laughs> Okay. And by the way, uh, Deborah is also uh, a rather accomplished artist. Uh, she shared with us in her last program uh, on our YouTube channel uh, some of the artwork that she does as well. Uh, and I thought, oh, that was I've got a cool. few pieces here. Yeah. I don't know if we already saw these. Uh, maybe, but... but that's good to see them again. I like it, almost looks like a multicolored flame, that front one. Yeah, 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 I love yeah. that. I love that. Actually, yeah. those are new and Rorschach tests. <laughs> I know. And actually, on my website, um, I've done these drawings. These are these are also automatic drawings. Mm -hmm. And again, I wish I could teach people how to do it. I think there is a corresponding thing called neuro drawing, uh, where you and and the um, surrealists did this kind of. Uh, automatic drawing, but I I have my own style. I it's one line, and um, it matches up like a mandala, and then I color it, um, and that's also on my website. Mm -hmm. And I I use them as a base also for readings for people because mm -hmm. they are energetic, right. and images come up that are I don't even know. So I did your soul progression. Okay, and these are and. I'll try. You seem to be an open book, but you know, I, if there's anything where you don't want me to talk about it, just let me know. No, you go for it. Okay. 
The lessons that, and we don't need to go into too much detail about these, but the lessons, uh, unless you have questions, that it shows that you have been given and have worked through in this lifetime, maybe even before you got here, are courage and tolerance, uh, ego and love of humanity. Those are the lessons that you may still get some just to remind you because we all need to be reminded, mm -hmm. but you're not going to have circumstances repeat for those particular lessons. Now, spiritual courage, it has to do with, um, it's not just, I'm not afraid of lions type of thing. Mm -hmm. Spiritual courage has to do with believing that your truth is God's truth, that if something isn't resonating with you, with um, even though you've been taught other things, mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel right to you and it's not authentic to you, that you will follow yourself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. and believe that you can be right. Yes. And uh, tolerance we spoke about earlier. Um, it's allowing other people their own path. And even if you think they're wrong or they're facing trouble, um, to allow them to learn their lessons because they have an individual path to spirit as do you. You can guide if they ask. Mm -hmm. Ego on a spiritual level, this is um, a lesson you'll find with many, uh, and which I happen to be a de facto <laughs> kind of a cult expert with the research I've done for the books I work on, but um, cult leaders, the ego lesson has to do with do you want to be the message or the messenger. And often um, the people who really are very gifted at first, they'll bring people off their path because they they decide they want to be the message and they want to be worshiped or guruized. Hmm. And then, um, then uh, the other one is uh, love of humanity, where you recognize this the connectedness of humans and the path and all of that. That is a very quick explanation. Now, the areas where in your lifetime you will have seen, because your spirit guides, source, um, you, you all kind of conspire to give you circumstances on many different levels and many different, you know, circumstances, object lessons to help you. You can't fudge it. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like getting one of those tests where no matter how you answer, you can't trick the test. Right. Okay. So that's what happens with these lessons. So the first one where you came into this world with a um, vulnerability would be self-protection. Um, sometimes I think on the psychic level, you may not have fully been aware of needing psychic self-protection, mm. you know, because when, when we're, uh, open and gifted and all this, we, we off and I got, believe me, I got kicked in my rear early on. We think everything is of the good and it's not, not when you're dealing with energy, there are energetic forces on this, in this world that are not good. And we need to learn to protect ourselves. On a human level, the self-protection lesson is knowing who to trust and who not to trust. You can trust the wrong people 
They can get to you maybe through flattery or because they seem like they know what they're doing and you buy into, into it. Um, or on the other hand, if you've felt burned by people because you trusted the wrong person, you may not trust someone that you should. Mm. And you wind up walling off to people who are who do have your best interests at heart, who could be good love matches or or friendships because of overprotection. So that's the self-protection lesson. And you will see it's going to keep coming at you. Um, the, uh, self-love lesson is another one, um, that is very common, especially among people who are on a spiritual path, uh, mystical people, metaphysicians, self-love. We can't, and this is the message you were getting about not doing too much, but learn to be. Mm -hmm. See, we can help others. We can do for others, but we don't always feel worthy. And what that does to us is we don't always ask for help mm. when we need it mm -hmm. because we don't we don't want to be a burden, just like you don't want to call your mother because you don't want to be a burden <laughs> to her. And we forget that uh, that the the love in the world is is a replenishing resource. It's like spring water, you know, it's a, it's going to always be flowing and we by allowing other people to help us and to ask for help we are allowing them to do something good for their own soul path mm. so so maybe if you look at it that way you you know you'll be more inclined to feel worthy or allow it yeah. the last one which i already knew is um you and god often have a very strained relationship and you don't really want it that way but because you're analytical and a heart person, it sometimes battles because you often try to intellectualize your concept of God mm -hmm. rather than just surrendering to it. And you have been pushed time and time again to a place of surrender and you won't do it. You won't do it. You, you hold back just that last little bit of surrender. And, yeah. you know, and, and the lessons for you, they're not coming as fierce and strong as they used to. You, you're mellowing, but it's still showing that at some point you really need to figure out your concept of God. Because once you do that, and once you fully surrender to it, you will have this flow of energy and you will resonate and you will be so connected that it, it's it's amazing. And mm. and you've gotten so close and you pull back. So that's your soul progression reading. Mm. And those are the seven lessons. Wow. Do you resonate with I, any of what I, I said? Actually, with, with most everything that you have said, and yes, the intellectualizing of God, um, working for a Christian radio station and asking questions. Ooh, yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, uh, and the, the the answers that I was getting didn't make sense, and so I continued to ask those questions, but from other sources, whether it was other books I read. And by the way, Joy's Way, I have read that also. Yeah, many years ago, book. my mother actually suggested that one, which was very interesting. Um, but yeah, and. I think that that 
to my benefit, but also, I don't want to say necessarily to my detriment, uh, I do spend a lot of time in my intellect. There's no question about it because I want things to make sense. And but they don't always they have don't, to make sense. Well, I know. And there's a, there's a <laughs> wonderful uh, a phrase that I learned uh, in one of the personal growth programs I went through in the 80s called, uh, called Lifespring. And, uh, you know, and everybody that was uh, being challenged and processed and so forth, you know, they, well, why? Why this and why that and why the other? And they would say, you need to give up the need to know why. And then they would throw examples. Yes. I have um, uh, my relationship with Source. I am very satisfied to be on a need to know basis. Because there are things I know I will never understand, and I don't need to understand. I know, and and someday, maybe if you bring me back again, sure. or in my next book, I'll talk about my real surrender experience. Because I had nowhere else to go but up. And there yeah. was no intellect that was going to solve this for me. And I, in that moment, everything opened up for me. Yeah. And it and it was uh, it was terrifying, but then it became amazing. Yeah. And and no matter what, even though people over the years have said, you know, you were a lawyer, you were this, you were that. Why why is are you dedicated to spirituality? Because no one could ever convince me on this planet that this is not real, and yeah. that God is not real. And I'm not defining it for anyone else. I am not a. I'm not in any. I am Jewish, so I have my own culture and religion. Mm-hmm. But I don't define what your worship is, what your belief system is. Right. Take it away from intellect. When you connect on a heart level to this mm-hmm. this endless source, it is why we're on this planet, and it is our. It's our. It's it's our gift. Yeah. It's the gift from all the the they all rejoice when we finally start to feel that and and not feel all the pain and and all of the the angst of being human yeah and certainly there is there is a lot of that uh you know and i i i get challenged every so often by um situations where people they choose not to do what is considered the right thing. Not necessarily what I think is the right thing, but let's just say social norms in general. And it's like, are you kidding? And, 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 uh, for, uh, and I, I use this as an example. Um, the, the aspect of lying and specifically of politicians. And I've seen this happen time and time again where a politician will get caught in something and guess what happens if they fess up and say yeah i did it I, you know i'm sorry i've shamed my family i've shamed my blah 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 and guess what it goes away there's nothing for the media or anybody else to talk about but it's those people who hold on and hold on and hold on and say no 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 i didn't do it i didn't do it. and it it, ha- it it takes on a life of its own and it's like that's one of that's well, that's part of the reason why when, for example, whenever there's a I shorted out a motherboard of a computer a few days ago, not realizing that I had done it and I was trying to install a new power supply. Right. 
Well, I was straight with my boss, and I said I was trying to install it, and I and, and the engineer says he thinks that I may have shorted it out, so we need to get a new computer. And it's like I, I, I wasn't um, ashamed or embarrassed or fearful of what my boss would do because he and I have a good relationship. And recognizing that, hey, the equipment is old. So, you know, setting all of that aside, it's like, okay, I did this thing. And it didn't go quite the way that it, sh- it I wanted it to. Well, what's the big deal of me telling him the truth instead of saying, oh, no, there must have been a short somewhere or but, blah, blah, but blah. But again, you know, I, we could talk for yeah. three more hours on this sure. topic. Um, because if anybody is familiar with the process of recovery, which is a very spiritual path mm-hmm. in the 12 steps. 12 steps, example, yeah. You know, I I just edited a book that's going to come out in the spring. That's amazing, taking this man through recovery and and uh, getting over shame and all of that. The whole it, it's very similar to the seven lessons, where the seven lessons are all leading to different types of love. Mm-hmm. The whole underlying concept of recovery is learning honesty yeah because as they say the truth will set you free well that's a much bigger concept than just an aphorism right it really is it really is a soul growth process to because as children we're so often uh, unfortunately shamed into feeling that the better choice is to is to lie Mm -hmm. you know or blame somebody else and blame someone else yeah. because we're not given that space to be fully honest. Yeah. And, you know, and so people who unfortunately have addiction or whatever, in, in many ways, they become the most blessed if they really follow the program and work the program because they learn honesty. And when I wrote the book, um, Member of the Family with um, Diane Lake, which was all about um, her being the youngest member of the Manson family and surviving that and testifying against them. Um, preface, she did not participate in the crimes, um, but she was with with them yeah. and they confessed to her afterwards. But the underlying theme of that book was not to hold secrets and was to also deal with shame. Yeah. Well, uh, because, you know, God, here's what I'll leave you with. Okay. I don't know if we're at time. No, we're God, not. Go God, whatever you believe it is, and mm-hmm. you guys will make up with each other and you'll figure it out mm-hmm. and you'll find your heart surrender. I <laughs> have <laughs> faith in you, Richard. Um, is uh, And so does God have faith yeah. in you. But, um, you know, whatever it is, your guides, the universe, source, they already know everything you've ever thought about, everything you've ever done. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. are no real secrets, mm-hmm. and we are loved, and it, because of our imperfection, yeah, we are loved. And and there's We're a phrase, expected. yeah. And there is a phrase that I have coined. I have uh, been uh, f- stating it for years, maybe a decade or more. If you and and this not just it doesn't just apply to me as an individual. This applies to every institution, every government, every organization. If you have no secrets to keep, then you have no secrets to keep. 
And right now, for example, uh, if you are following the news, and I'm not religiously, mind you, I'm aware of the, um, the conflict, if you will, the dynamic between the United States and a few other countries, okay? And it's primarily because they choose to continue to keep secrets. And, and I've, I, you know, it's like, why would you need uh, an agency of espionage if you didn't have any secrets? You wouldn't. I think at the end of the show, you should play John Lennon's song, Imagine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we there's so many things that we could talk about. Yeah, I, I yeah. hope you, you do invite me back. I, I will, you, you, It's an open invitation. I'm going to just say it right <laughs> now uh, to you in front of all of these folks uh, listening and watching. Because uh, these are fascinating to me. They're fascinating conversations. But they are also... Um, insightful and as I've said this on many programs this this is part of my therapy okay uh, I've, been, I've been in therapy for over 40 years I'm 63 and uh, every interview is a form of therapy especially the ones that I do uh, at this uh, higher level of of awareness and understanding uh, and and yeah I I just find it, and, and I've said this before too, that uh, it just, and I, I won't repeat what you said in terms of the universe already knows, there are no secrets because they already know, but there are 8 billion plus people on this planet. And I don't care if everybody, every one of them knows. And most of them don't care because they're too busy. They're into their own they're stuff. They're into their own stuff. <laughs> and And then when you talk about that, tie that into privacy and it's like what do you mean privacy you're afraid that if you take that inoculation that they're going to inject some tracking device this is your tracking device that you carry everywhere with you what are you talking about i you know it's like again it doesn't make logical sense for you to be upset over being afraid of being inoculated with some tracking device when you choose you choose to carry <laughs> a tracking device and then when you uh, accept the terms and conditions, you don't even read them. And you just gave no, away... No, I actually do. Do you? Okay. Well, you're one of the very rare <laughs> ones. only because I have to use my law degree somewhere. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, and, you know, and, and I probably... And I do skip most of it. Yeah. Well, I, I've given away a house <laughs> and I've given away my firstborn and and uh, they get my left kidney, you know, and uh, and so forth. And the right lobe of my brain for science, uh, somewhere in those uh, terms and conditions, I just gifted those away. But... The point that I'm getting to is that uh, there's so much that we concern ourselves with. And again, I, I mean no disrespect when I say this to those people who are very patriotic and, and so forth. I've read the Constitution. I've read the preamble. I've read the Declaration of Independence. And from, the, again, this is, and I'll go back to what I said before. This is me. Okay, this is only for me. Life and liberty Freedom, privacy are all in the grand scheme of the spirit world. They're all, they are all irrelevant, in my opinion. They're irrelevant because if we're all connected and if everything is energy, I can't own anything. I love the Irish song that says, you can't you don't own the land 
The land owns you. So when we get into this, I, I hear this constantly about, you know, property rights and a deed. I've been renting for 17 years. Before that, I owned a couple of houses, you know, with my first wife and now with my second wife. You pay whether you own or whether you rent. And at least I don't have to deal with the upkeep on the property, you know. But it's it's like you just reminded me I have to go mow the lawn. <laughs> hey, I've got to go uh, continue knocking down the weeds here after all the rains that we had uh, in November, December, January, February, and March. Uh, but I got to tell you, these conversations are fabulous. You are coming back, and we are going to talk more about some of these things. And yes, we could go on infinitum, and and eh, who knows? Maybe we'll make this a regular, uh, you know, quarterly thing or something along those lines. Because I, I would love it. Find these conversations fascinating, especially if you're coming out with another book, and then this one book you were just talking about editing. Uh, it would be fascinating. So let's uh, let's do that. I'm thinking, and I'd love feedback if anybody's more interested in in. Focusing on these seven lessons, I'm actually thinking of doing um, not a spiritual writing book, mm -hmm. but a book just about the seven lessons. Oh, I think that'd be fabulous. Yeah, expanding absolutely. on that. Absolutely. And I the think soul that would be progression. Great. Uh, absolutely. We're talking with uh, Deborah Herman, and uh, we are here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, as always, we, uh, we come your way uh, bringing you information that... Uh, that uh, uh, you can use, there's no question about it, from our guest, Deborah Herman. And uh, Deborah, I want to thank you for giving us, uh, quite honestly, so much time here on the program uh, to, to elucidate on so many different ideas that are an outgrowth of your book, Spiritual Writing, uh, from, uh, 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 from the perspective uh, that, that you share as, as a mystic, and that's one of the things that we want to be clear on from uh, inspiration to publication. It's the second edition. Hope you'll fo you folks will get a copy at her website, which, of course, is DebraHerman.com. And uh, we really do appreciate you giving us so much time. My pleasure. See you again. Well, I have three final questions that I've asked you oh, please once do. before. I'm going to ask you again because... Uh, We've kind of changed the questions up a little uh, since the last time we had you on the program. We're in our 15th year, and uh, I'm going to ask you those questions. But first, I'm going to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m. That's our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We uh, stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. And uh, we are podcasting at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many other locations across the Internet. And we're on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcasts and videocasts. But more importantly, I hope that you will click on notifications so that when I post a new conversation, you will be able to uh, listen to that. And we hope you'll also go to our guest website, which we will be linked to, which in this case it is uh, Deborah. Uh, DebraHerman.com had to swallow there, and uh, with all of that, one Debra, one Debra, not two Debras, just one Debra. <laughs> DebraHerman.com. <laughs> <laughs> we also want you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, where uh, we ask you to go within and listen to that most important, still small voice. But don't worry if you go out and you get confirmation and support and, and encouragement from others. 
hey, they're probably uh, top tapped into their still small voice too, saying, hey, well, you need to talk to this person. You need to share a little per- uh, encouragement and so forth and so on. So please spend that time during is what we like to call the decade of perfect vision. And if you'd like to support the work we are doing, we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. With all of that, we now go to our final questions and ask the first, and that is, who is Deborah Levine Herman? An ongoing process of daily recreation. That's me. Question number two, which (laughs) the voice in my head just said, go with this question from this point forward for a while. What gets you out of bed in the morning? My dog. No, seriously. (laughs) I know. I have a whole morning routine where I get back in my body. And, and if I'm, if, if I know you meant it metaphorically, Mm -hmm. but on a literal, in a literal Mm -hmm. sense, we live in, um, we live in like a Disney movie um, because once uh, we have two dogs who like to burrow in, into the bed. And if, when I open my eyes, mm-hmm. um, my little doxy, she climbs up and starts to give me a kiss. And then we have the Whippet, who um, he he's lit kind of lazy, um, <laughs> but then and, but then he wants to give us, you know, uh, a nuzzle or a kiss. And if I stay in bed too long, he will literally talk to me and pull at the blanket (laughs) so he literally gets me up in the morning but as far as you know what excites me yeah it's uh it's doing any of the creative projects that i'm blessed to be doing because um i mean i have an online bookstore i have different projects i'm editing i have you know um, my own writing and uh, reading and, and I talk to my children. So just embracing life. Mm. There are things I like to collect. You know, I, there's so many, and, and lately, lately, I've been um, trying water Zumba, like I told you earlier, and getting out and trying to walk because we are now springing. Mm-hmm. which in Western Massachusetts comes very late in the year. Yeah. So we're starting to, to spring. And so it, it, that's what excites me. And finally, what was your best day? I think I answered this the same last time. For me, I I don't have a best day because each day is a new day. Mm-hmm. There are things that have happened in my life that have been wonderful. Um, you know, the birth of children, uh, getting married, um, the birth of my grandchild. Those are things that just bring so much joy. But truly, the best day could be tomorrow. Mm. I don't know. Okay. Well, every day's a best day. There you go. There you go. (laughs) 
Once Am I pathologically optimistic? <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Not in this world. There's nothing wrong with that, let me tell you. And I thank you again for joining us, and I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lau. Jeanette, I am still listening. And Dad, be happy.